you to the organizers for inviting Reality to come and, and do church here. We're blessed and we're excited. We're excited. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, if you have a Bible, if you're near someone and they don't have a Bible with them, share yours. You know what I mean? Maybe you got Luke 15 memorized, just give them your Bible. But if you see someone, they don't have a Bible, they're near you, be willing to share yours with them. We're going to be talking about a familiar story to many this morning. Even those that aren't really very familiar with the Bible and maybe have never attended church, they've heard of this story that Jesus told. It's the story of the prodigal son. And it illustrates a very important fact. There's an important reason why Jesus told this story a couple thousand years ago, and we now have it recorded for us. It illustrates for us the love of God. And it illustrates in a powerful way the father heart of God. That is that God wants to be a father to every single one of you. And that he's a father to the fatherless. And he loves you today. And he's got an incredible plan for your life. And I think if we were honest this morning, we could all admit that at one time or another, our own plans that at one moment seemed so bright and so wise and so good have made messes in our lives. Can anybody testify? (laughs) And so this story is about a young man that made a mess of his life with bad choices and his homecoming to the father and the way that the father embraced him and loved on him and received him back into his home. And so the young man in the story is representative of so many of us. And the father in this story is representative of God. It's a picture of God. Remember that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And he came to the earth to reveal to you and I what God is like. He came to reveal the love of God and the plan of God and the purposes of God. And this story is a key component to that revelation that Jesus gave us. And so when he speaks about the father in the story that we'll read in just a moment, he's speaking about God. It's a representation of God put into a story that you and I could understand. But I want us to back up for just a moment and look at the first two verses in Luke 15. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners... We're coming near to Jesus to listen to him. I want you to take note. It says that the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Now, anybody work for the IRS here? You're in the Bible, man. Okay, the guy in the way in the back. (laughs) Well, it's a different context in the first century. You've got to understand that at this time, Israel was occupied by Rome. And a tax collector in this context was somebody that was Jewish, but they turned their back on Israel to work for Rome, and they would extract from people, often violently, taxes and give them to Rome. And Israel's national and religious identity were wrapped up. They were one in the same. So when someone became a tax collector for Rome, a Jew, it was turning their back on the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. So they really became the outcasts of popular society. They, they were despised. So not the same as tax men today. Nobody be offended. But then it says sinners. Now we could relate a little more to this. Sinners. I'm a sinner, man. Everybody here, the Bible says, is a sinner. Don't trip out. Everybody here, the Bible says, is a sinner. We all do wrong things according to God's standard. We all fall short. We're all in the same boat. I'm a sinner. I'm the biggest one here probably. I'm six foot six. I'm the biggest sinner in this joint. But what's interesting here is that the outcasts of society at that time, the, the traders, the tax collectors, and the sinners, 
the, the people that had really rejected God and were living in a moral lifestyle, they were coming to Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh and he was totally holy and perfect and he was righteous. He was so attractive to these people that were the outcasts and the wrongdoers, the ones that were blowing it and making messes. They were very attracted to Jesus. That speaks something about the person of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? That we should know this morning. We don't need to be afraid of him. You know, it's so weird. In any public circle, you can mention any name. But then you mention the name of Jesus and people, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, man. What are you doing talking about Jesus? But you see, people that saw him face to face, no matter what they were doing in their life, were very, very attracted to him. Now, I have a confession to make. It ought to be the same for the church of Jesus Christ today. Uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, so to speak, they ought to be attracted to Jesus' people, Christians. But so often they're not. So often we're uh, condescending and condemning and sometimes judgmental. And, and, and so many times these people aren't attracted to the people of Jesus Christ, the Christians. And, and so if that's been your experience, you say, yeah, Jesus is cool, but his people, I, I'm tripping on them. I want to be the first here today to apologize on behalf of Christianity if we have misrepresented Jesus Christ to you. Because you see, people that messed their lives up wanted to be with him. And the reason that I became a Christian is because I was messing my life up. I was sinning and I was blowing it and I needed forgiveness and a savior and a second chance. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And luckily for me, yeah, praise the Lord. Thankfully for me, you know, the image of him wasn't too muddied up by other people. And so if any Christian has ever muddied up the image of Jesus Christ for you, I'm sorry on behalf of every Christian. We also have not always done that good at representing his love these people came because they felt love from Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're called to be ambassadors of his love. We're to represent his love. We're to pour his love into this community. And I just want to repent before this community for any way that Christians have ever failed to do that. That we've represented anything other than the love of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry we blew it. But when every one of us stands before God, God's not going to ask you about the Christians in Carpinteria. He's going to ask you about Jesus Christ. He's going to say, do you know him? So sometimes you've got to get beyond the people that you know to get to the Jesus that wants to know you. Amen. So the tax gatherers and the sinners are coming to Jesus to listen to him. And it says in verse 2, And both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. These were the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they didn't like that Jesus was letting these people be around him. But these are the very people that Jesus came for. And so now he begins to give a few illustrations to illustrate the fact that he came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus said, It's not the well that need a physician, it's the sick. And so now he gives a couple stories, but we're going to skip down to the third story he gives in this chapter, starting in verse 11. It's the most potent one, and we have a limited amount of time. So this is the story of the prodigal son. It says in verse 11, And Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, but he sent him out into the fields to feed the swine. And the young man was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm here dying with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. Now stop right there. We have the story of this young man and he did something in that culture that was unspeakable. He went to his father and he said, give me my share of the inheritance. You don't do that when the father is still living, especially in that culture. And and the inheritance would have denoted land and it was family land and it would have been passed down through generations. So essentially when he said, father, I want my share of the inheritance, he was saying to his dad, dad, you're dead to me now. You're dead to me. I want what is mine. I want what would be mine if you were dead today. In my heart, you were dead. I don't want you, and I don't want this relationship. Give it to me. You just don't do that. This kid's blowing it right here. And then we know, because he went out and spent the money, that he then would have sold that family land. You never sell family land, especially when the family's still alive. You just never did that in that culture. This kid did the unthinkable in declaring his father to be dead to him. Now, as unthinkable as that is, you know, many people in our culture today are doing the same thing with God the Father. They're saying, God, I just want what is mine, but don't bug me. Give me what is rightfully mine. You're dead to me. Who was it, Nietzsche, that said God is dead? Well, guess what? Nietzsche's dead, Holmes. Donde esta? Where is he? No está aquí. He's dead. But Jesus is alive. But many people, Amen. But many people today, they do the same thing. They say, I want nothing to do with you, God. Even though you created me and you created everything around me, you formed me in my mother's womb, the Bible says. You know me by name. The Bible says that he's numbered every hair upon your head. Even though you love me like a father in that way with a perfect love, I don't want anything to do with you. They may never verbalize it, but in the way they live, that's what they communicate. The same thing. Now, they often go out and do the same thing that this young man did. It says that he went out and he squandered his inheritance on loose living. Loose living. I don't need to illustrate it. You can imagine it. I've done it. Many of you have done it. Loose living. You know what it entails. I don't have to paint a picture for you. But he squandered his inheritance. It's a picture of someone just squandering their life on, you know, partying and and all that other stuff. Man, there was a time where that's all that I wanted to do. And it seems so right. And for a while, it was so fun. And you know, the Bible says that sin is fun for a season. God's not dumb. He knows that when you do those things, it's fun for a time. But after a time, what is it? After a time, it becomes burdensome. And it becomes wearisome. And after a time, you were in control, but no longer are you in control. It now becomes master over you. And pretty soon, your friends start dying. And relationships start dying. And a piece of you and God made you to be wonderful and vibrant and living and healthy and beautiful. A part of you starts to die. And you begin to squander your life on loose living. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to, the ma- to man, but the end of it is death. And I was at one time headed down that road in my life. And this young man was doing that very same thing. And it says that he ran out of his money. And, and guess what happened? When his money was gone, his friends were gone. Said he spent everything that he had in verse 14 and he began to be in need. And then in verse 15, uh, verse 16, nobody was giving him anything. He came to the end of his rope. Has anybody ever been there? Just to the end of yourself. 
Now, let me give you a hint. This little kid will figure it out in a minute. But when you get to the end of yourself, it's time to get to the beginning of God. When you hit rock bottom, you can always look up and there's Jesus Christ waiting for you. But this young man attached himself to a foreign citizen, the first person that he found. And what did this guy do? This guy sent him in to feed the swine, it says here in the Bible. Now, a nice Jewish boy like this should never be feeding swine. That's not kosher. But this guy sent him to go feed the swine. And so this kid is at rock bottom now. He was at one time wealthy when his father gave him his share of the inheritance. He squandered on loose living when the money was gone and the good times were gone. His friends were gone. And now he's feeding pigs, this Jewish boy. And it says that he was looking at the food that the pigs were eating and he was longing to fill his stomach. He was so desperate. He was so empty. And that's a picture of that emptiness that every single human being has apart from Jesus Christ. Do you know that God created you to have a loving relationship with him? And until you enter into that loving relationship through Jesus Christ, you will never be satisfied. You might not be like this cat. You might not have squandered your life on loose living. You might not be at rock bottom. And in fact, everything might be cool with you on the surface. You've made some good decisions. You've acquired some good things. But in the midnight hour, when it's just you and nobody else, you know that there is a longing and a dissatisfaction and a loneliness in your heart. God created it to be there because he wants to fill it. And he's the only one that could fill it. And people try to fill it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. With friends and possessions and position and power. None of those things will ever satisfy you. You were created to have a relationship with, his God, with God. And so this young man is staring at the food that the pigs is eating, he, he, are eating. He's wanting to eat even that food. He's so desperate. And then finally, in verse 17, it says he came to his senses. He finally came to his senses. He said, what am I doing? I have a father that loved me. I, I had a family. I had a roof over my head. And even my, my father's slaves are better off than me. I am here in the dirt and in the mud and the pigs are better off than me. What am I doing? And he comes to his senses. I am so glad that in my life there was a moment where I came to my senses. I was just like this young man. I was headed down and I came to my senses and I returned to the father who is God. Now, this man does that very thing in verse 20. It says, and he got up and he came to his father. But I want you to note the posture of the father. No, listen, listen very carefully. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. Remember that the father is a representation of God. And what we're told here is that the young man started to come back to the father's house. But while he was far away, the father saw him. That speaks to us that the father was watching for this young man. He was just waiting for him to come home, just hoping that one day he would come to his senses. Do you know that the Bible says that God waits on high to have compassion on you and that he's longing to be merciful to you? People think, man, I can't come to God. I've messed up too bad and, and, and it's going to be judgment and wrath for me. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that if you come to him, he's waiting on high to have compassion on you. He's longing, your Father in heaven wants to have mercy on you. And it's pictured right here and that this Father was waiting and he saw the Son coming and he had compassion on him. Look what it says next in the rest of verse 20. And the Father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. The father ran. This is the only time in the whole Bible where God represents himself as being in a hurry. 
You understand that God is outside time and space. He doesn't have to hurry about anything. But this is a one time in the totality of the Bible where God pictures himself as being in a hurry is to come and embrace the sinner that's turning to him for forgiveness. This young man comes, amen. This young man comes and the father runs to meet him. I'm telling you that today, if you'll take a step toward God, he will run to embrace you. You don't even have to go the whole nine yards, bro. You just take a step and turn toward him and he's waiting to embrace you. And it says here that the father embraced him. Literally, in the original language, it means he fell upon his neck. And then he says that the father began to kiss him. Now, literally, in the original language, it it says that he kissed him over and over again. I want you to remember that this young man just came from the pigsty. He was filthy, he was dirty, and he was stinky. The father didn't care. The young man did not have to clean himself up. He just had to show up. The father did the rest. He fell upon his neck and he began to kiss him over and over and over again. Anybody ever had a fat little baby? Oh man, I had a couple fat little babies. You know when you got that fat little baby and and you go to kiss that little baby? You know what I'm talking about. And you're holding it right here and they got the cheeks. My little Daisy Love. She's two now, but my daughter, Daisy Love. She had cheeks like this. Just... And I would go and I'd start kissing her cheeks and you just, instinct, and just instinctively, you want to work your way down to the neck where the soft stuff is, you know what I mean? I start kissing those cheeks and to get around those things, I had to lift them up like this. <laughs> lift those cheeks up and once I got underneath those cheeks, boom, I just... <laughs> Sometimes you think you're going to bite them, huh? Hey man, if you ain't had kids, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But mamas, any mamas in the house? You know the song I'm singing. You get underneath those cheeks and you start kissing on that soft, undefiled, perfect neck. And just... That is a picture of what the father was doing to this son. But you got to understand, the son had just been in a pigsty. He was filthy and dirty. He had said to the father sometime earlier, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. And he had squandered it. He had hit rock bottom. He didn't have to clean up. He just had to show up. And the father fell upon his neck and began to kiss him over and over and over and over again. I'm telling you, that's God. That is the way that God loves each and every one of you. And you might be filthy dirty today and God is longing to embrace you. He's wanting to fall upon your neck and kiss you over and over again. You might have made the biggest mess in the world. It's not worse than this kid. God wants to run and embrace you. And he said to his father, Father, I've blown it. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy even to be a slave in your house, he said. He did confess and repent. Important to see that. He did come to the father and say, Father, I've been wrong. Bible says that if we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness according to what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, that God will forgive you. I want you to notice then what the father did. It says in verse 22, But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and bring out the ring and put it on his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to be merry. The father now as his son comes, he says, bring me the best robe. And he puts his robe on the kid. And remember, he would have been filthy and dirty. And he just clothed him in this robe. And that's a picture of what happens when we come to God through Jesus Christ. 
We come with our filthy stains, with our sin and our unrighteousness, and he clothes us in righteousness. He forgives our sins, and he makes us white as snow. That's a picture of him being clothed now in this robe. If you'll come to God today and say, God, forgive me, I've sinned. He will wash you white as snow, give you a brand new slate. He'll clothe you in brand newness, the Bible teaches. And then he put a ring upon his finger. And a ring speaks of ownership, doesn't it? He put a ring on the, on the son saying, you're mine again, son. You've come back into my house. You belong to me. You know, I got a ring on my finger. This means I belong to Kate Merrick. No other woman can have me ever. This means I belong to someone and she has a ring on her finger that says she belongs to me. <laughs> when he put the ring upon the finger of the son, he said, son, I accept you. I receive you back. You're mine and I'm yours. Everybody's looking for acceptance. God accepts you today. If you will come to him through his son, Jesus Christ, and according to what he did upon the cross, he will accept you into his family. He will receive you. You are accepted just as you are because Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin upon the cross. And when you come and say, God, forgive me, According to what Jesus did upon the cross, he forgives you because Jesus paid the price and he then receives you and he clothes you in brand newness and he gives you meaning and he puts on you a sign of ownership and you are his forever and nobody could snatch you out of his hands, Jesus said, and you're going to heaven, bro. But the third thing that the father did was he put sandals on his feet. In that culture, only free men wore sandals. The slaves had to go barefoot. Only free men wore sandals. Just moments before when he was in the pigsty, he was in slavery to his bad choices. He was enslaved to his sin. He was enslaved to the things where he had made mistakes. But now when he comes to the father and he has a second chance in that newness and that fresh relationship, the father declares to him, you are free. You're no longer a slave. And that's what Jesus Christ does is he sets people free. You might be a slave to sin today. You might be a slave to pornography on the internet. Jesus Christ will set you free. You might be a slave or addicted to alcohol or drugs. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. You might be enslaved to your bitterness or your anger or your disappointment. Jesus Christ wants to set you free today. He wants to put sandals on your feet and say, you are no longer a slave to those things, but whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. And the very last thing the father did was he told his servants, go and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. This son of mine was dead and he's come to life. He was lost and now he's found. Jesus said that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Some of you today, you know you're lost. Life isn't working out the way you thought it would. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point, you need Jesus. Others of you, you haven't figured it out yet. I'm telling you from experience and on the authority of the Bible, the word of God, brother, you're lost in your sins until you come to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you. I didn't make that up, man. That's what the Bible says. It's proven itself to be true for 2,000 years. Don't trip on it. That's what the Bible says. Every one of us needs to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And, And when you do, when you come and say, Lord, forgive me, I want to be yours. I want to go to heaven. He clothes you. Ownership and relationship sets you free. 
And the Bible says that there's a party in heaven, that there's rejoicing. The reason that Jesus Christ was born a virgin and draped himself in humanity and died that ferocious death upon the cross and rose three days later was so that you might know him intimately, that you might know God is the reason he did that. That was a big deal, man. That was a big deal that God did that. And so then when you come to him and enter into that relationship, there's a party in heaven. So I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to do that right now. We're going to all, in just a moment, we're all going to bow our heads. And it's going to be a private moment now between individuals and their God. And if you know today that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you know that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven, I'm going to ask you when all the heads are bowed to just raise your hand. It's not because you should be embarrassed to do it, but it's a private moment between you and your God. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you already came to God, but you know you're the prodigal. You were once in the Father's house. You've walked away, and you're headed toward the pigsty, and you want to say today, Britt, I'm I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm coming back. And so let's all bow our heads right now. This is a private moment between you and the God that made you. Lord, I just ask that right now, that you would save every person here that doesn't know you. That you would convince them in their hearts, God, of your incredible love. That you want to give them a new chance and freedom and an eternal relationship and the gift of heaven and just freedom from sin and guilt and condemnation today. If that's you today, while all the heads are bowed and you know that you need Jesus Christ, either for the first time or you need to come back to him, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to acknowledge you before God. Right there, right here. Raise your hand over here. Okay, sweet little kids in the back, hands everywhere. It's between you and your Lord. I want to acknowledge you so I could pray for you. Right over here. Over here, raise them up high so I could see them. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you in the front. I got you over here. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else, you know that this is my day. I know that God is real. I want that relationship with him. I see you right there, my brother on the aisle. I see you. I love you, man. The Lord loves you. Thank you, Jesus. You raised your hand. It's not too late. See you right there. You pray this prayer in your heart with me. I see you in the back. I got you, man. I got you way in the back, brother. I see you back there. Anybody else? I got you. I got you guys on the aisle. Anyone else? Behind the tent? Okay, we got you way back there behind the tent. Okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You just pray this in the quietness of your heart. Prayer is just talking to God. You pray this in the quietness of your heart, and you mean it, and God will hear, and God will save you. It's something like this in your heart. God, I know that you're real, and I know that you're good. And I confess today, God, that I'm a sinner. I confess today that I've blown it, I've tried it my way, and it's not all that I thought it would be. And I thank you, God, that you gave Jesus to pay that price on the cross for me. And so I come right now and I say, God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I don't know all that it means. I just know I need it, God. And so I'm coming to you as best I know how. I'm turning away from those old things and I'm coming to you. I don't know how to wash myself. Lord, you're going to have to wash me. I don't know how to clean up. I'm just showing up and saying, here I am. Save me, God. Forgive me. Give me a brand new chance. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer, Jesus said that there's a celebration happening in heaven and it's way louder than this. prayed that prayer, you just started a brand new relationship with the God of the universe. And man, let me tell you, it's awesome. And I'll see you in heaven, if not before. But we're going to worship Jesus now. But at the end of that, or sometime during that, I want you to come up over here on the side and get a little, you know, Bible. We'll give you a Bible if you don't have one. There'll be people over here, they'll be wearing shirts like this that can pray for you. If you have any questions, I'll explain to you further the decision that you just made. But let me hear it, Coastline, because people are going to heaven. Let's all stand together.